The text for this morning's message will be Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Be be reading verse 1 through verse 4. Romans 8 verse 1 through verse 4. Paul, as he's writing to the church at Rome, begins in Romans 8 and 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, I thank You for this day. I thank You for the, the opportunity that You've allowed us to come here to worship together, to hear Your Word together. So I ask that You would prepare our hearts and our minds, help us to be open to the truth that is in Your Word. And where we need changing, Lord, please do that work in us. You know the struggles, you know the things that we face. I ask that you speak to that now. Give me the grace to say only what is needed, nothing more. I give you glory for all that you will do. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen. You may be seated. So has anyone here ever been to Bryce Canyon? If Well, I know I have. It's a place in Utah, and if you, don't, if you haven't been there and you get the chance to go, I would say go. Hands down, probably one of the most beautiful places I've seen yet in my life. I go a lot of places in the mountains, and, you know, I go a lot of pretty places. This place is like in the desert, in the canyon, so go figure that. But it's hands down one of the most beautiful places that, that I've ever seen. The, the scenery is literally breathtaking. I remember thinking that, just watching and seeing all of it. Now, you can't tell that right away, not when you pull up in the parking lot. You can see like, oh, there's something cool over there. It's got some formations or something. You can't tell that right away. You get a glimpse of it from the parking lot. But it's not until you walk up on the landing that they have and you get to that rail where the canyon drops away at your feet and you see out in front of you this vast array of just beautiful scenery. You don't get the fullness of it till you're actually there at that rail. And then you can walk along the rail and see all the different sights and scenes. It's just breathtaking. To see all the different angles, to see the towering rocks that are there, and to wonder at the beauty of God's creation and God's power. Well, much like that, today we take our first step into one of the most sacred halls of Scripture, Romans chapter 8. It's one of the most beautiful and monumental chapters in the Bible. I'm sure we all know parts of it. We all quote parts of it from time to time. We're familiar with some of it at least. And uh, we know its beauty. But sometimes you have to take a walk through it to see the fullness of it. Sometimes you might know pieces here or pieces there, but when you see it in its fullness and where it sets in the Bible, then you begin to see the full beauty of it. And we'll get a chance to look at its towering heights as we walk through it over the course of the next few weeks. We'll get to bask in its beautiful language and draw great hope because we'll realize this is not just for the church at Rome. It's for Faith Baptist today. God is speaking to us still in this way. So yes, it's a wonderful chapter. It's beautiful. It's breathtaking in the Bible. One of those places that just stops you in your tracks as you read it and say, wow, this is an awesome chapter. But it's not a standalone chapter. Some of them are. Like John 3, totally standalone. Stands on its own two feet, doesn't really need any context, just boom, there it is. Jesus and Nicodemus, everything you need to know about salvation is right there in that chapter. You must be born again, right? John 3.16, things that we know. Or maybe like Psalm 23, that doesn't really need any context, it's just there, talks about the Lord being our shepherd. Some chapters are standalone, 
and others must be considered in context. I'm just going to tell you right now, nearly every chapter in a letter from Paul has a context. And Romans 8 is no exception. You cannot divorce Romans 8 from the rest of Romans. It has a place. Paul is building up to say some things in that chapter. In fact, you cannot separate it from chapter 6 and 7. And hopefully we'll try to make that a little bit clearer as we go along. So if you, you understand it in its flows, uh, Romans up to this point has gone kind of something like this. Everybody needs the gospel. Man is lost. Man is spiraling downward. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from. You can be religious or not. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 tell us that. That's Paul takes three chapters to tell us, man is lost, man is sinful, we need a Savior. He also tells us that we find the salvation that we need, we find the spiritual justification we so desperately need and cannot provide for ourselves. We find that by faith alone in Christ alone. Paul tells us that in Romans chapter 4 and 5. We are justified, we have peace with God by faith in Jesus Christ, period. Then Paul says, rather than continuing living that old life, after salvation we should be baptized into a new life as part of His body, where we present ourselves, we yield ourselves to Him. Sometimes we fight our flesh nature, Sometimes it's a battle, but we fight it in His power and we are looking for the final deliverance that is coming. That's Romans chapter 6 and 7. Romans 8 tells you how the battle is won. Romans 8 tells you how you live day to day victorious in Christ. Romans Romans 8 tells us who is fighting for us and what waits for us at the end. It has its place, okay? It's not a standalone, it's going in a flow of Paul's thinking. And I find Romans 8 to be one of the most hopeful chapters of the Bible. Filled with hope, filled with peace. Gives me strength in in who I am and what I have in Christ. And I believe what I have for you this morning is a message of hope. We're going to be looking at verse 1. I totally just read the others. I don't know why, probably should have just read verse 1. Maybe for filler, but... Just verse 1, and that there is so much that is packed into that verse. I, I think Romans 8, 1 just might be one of the most comforting verses in Scripture. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And what I want to say before we start, I, I don't think I'm going to take a lot of time this morning. Of course I say that, and sometimes I go like an hour. So I don't have a... A long message planned. I have just some simple thoughts because what it says here is pretty simple. Like much much of Scripture, this verse, just like many verses, have different facets to it. Like a diamond, right? Has anybody ever seen a raw diamond? I've only seen them on TV. I've seen very few real diamonds unless I'm walking in in a jewelry store or walking by. But they're not much to look at. They look like a rock or... I remember digging white crystals out of the ground at, at the house where I used to live. Those, I don't know if they were quartz or whatever. And it looks the same. It's not much. It has to be cut, right? It has to be shaped to shine right like we expect a diamond to shine. And when it, when it is cut right, oh man, doesn't it shine? All the edges, all the surfaces catch the light and it sparkles and you can turn it this way and turn it that way and see all the beauty of it. Scripture is much like that. Now, God's already done the cutting. God's already done the finished work for us. The Bible is perfect, but the more that you hold it up and the more that you look at it and the more you consider it, the more it shines, the more it sparkles, the more it speaks. And you can see the different facets to it and the beauty of it. I see two angles, two facets to approach this verse. And both of them have to do with the phrase, in Christ. 
What does it mean to be in Christ? And that's what we'll look at this morning. That's the, the angles which we'll, which we'll come at. It. But before we start, I want to just define two terms. First is condemnation. We need to understand what that means, right? Words mean something. Paul uses this for, a, for an example or for a reason. He uses this word for a reason. So what word does he use and why and is it important? There is therefore now no condemnation. That Greek word, if it matters to you, is katakrima. What it means, he's speaking of the final verdict. It's not the process of judgment. It's the final verdict that is rendered. The final sentence, the final judgment. And it's a judgment against. Guilty would be a condemnation, right? Not let's... Not innocent until proven guilty. Guilty. The final adverse verdict. There is no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus who walk. That's the other um, term we need to define. This word literally means, it's peripateo, it means a path around. You heard of a perimeter, right? And path Those are pretty much two Greek words. The path around. Walking around. Literally to trudge or to walk or to tread all around. And it's a, 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 a metaphor or a, a figure of speech for how you live your life. How you live is your walk. The things that you do. The things that you say. The way that you live. Okay? Keep those in place. Keep those in your mind as we read and we discuss some of these things. So let's consider the first angle, the first, fast, first facet. The first way to consider this would be positionally in Christ. Someone who is positionally in Christ. I can't say it any clearer than this. I tried to maybe explain it different ways before I said it. Sometimes it's just best to say what I, say what I got to say. If you are saved this morning, you are positionally in Christ. That's who you are. You stand in Him. You are cleansed and covered by His blood. That is your status. You're not with Christ. You're not around Christ. You are in Christ. Perhaps it's best to turn to the Bible to explain this. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26 says this, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. See, He is the object of our faith. He is the process by which we are saved. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14, But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus... Neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. He says, I am crucified to the world. The world is crucified unto me. And it's not by works. It's not by religious actions. It's in Christ by which I become a new creature. Ephesians chapter 1. That we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed in Christ with that Holy Spirit of promise. We heard the gospel. We believed in Him. We are sealed in Him. We stand in Him for salvation. Again, not around Him, not with Him, in Him. Perhaps the clearest explanation of this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want you to turn there to see this. I don't know if you underline in your Bible or you highlight or whatever it may be, whatever you choose to do, this is one passage that probably should be because of its clarity and because of just the simplicity which it speaks to what happens at salvation. Ephesians chapter 5, let's pick it up in verse 17. Paul writing to the church at Corinth. You know these verses. I actually quote them and go to them a lot. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, see that? 
There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, literally a new creation. At salvation, we are born again. That's what Jesus says, doesn't He? You cannot see the kingdom unless ye be born again. This is a new creation that happens. This word is used in other places in the New Testament to describe Genesis 1. Not becoming something, not a metamorphosis, a whole new creation happens. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new new creature. Old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new, and all things are of or from who? God. Not me. God. I am a new creation in Him, by Him. All things are of God, verse 18, who hath reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself. I don't have time to explore the depths of those statements. This wasn't just some man dying on a cross. This wasn't some prophet giving his life. It was God in the flesh on that cross bleeding for my sin. Not only accomplished by God, planned by God. This was God's plan that He would give Himself, He would give His Son to reconcile us back to Him. To humanity who has walked away. To humanity that has turned their back on Him. That is sin sick and sin obsessed. Selfish. Idolatrous. God says, I'm going to bring them back and here's how I'm going to do it. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's been the eternal plan. And God accomplished it. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. At the cross, my sins are removed, and they are, well, let's read a couple verses and we'll get to that. I don't want to jump ahead. Verse 20. Now then we as as ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. By the way, there's your life purpose right there. There's one of them. What we were talking about this morning. We stand in the place of God. We stand in as His ambassadors, as His representatives. And what do we say? Be reconciled to God. You need to know about the cross. You need to know what the Bible says about salvation. Verse 20, For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. You see, at the cross, an exchange takes place. My sin, all of my falling short, Christ became all of that. He didn't just think about it. He didn't just talk about it. It says He took it upon His body. He became my sin and then paid its wages by His death. He shed His precious blood so that my sins might be cleansed. God made Him to be sin who knew no sin for us. He didn't have to do that. You know what we deserve from God? Guilty. We deserve condemnation. But God, who is rich in mercy and the great love wherewith He has loved us, has caused us to be born again, hasn't He? He sent His Son to die for us. And at the cross, at first faith, an exchange happens. My sin was paid for on that cross, and when one believes, when I believe in Christ for salvation, here's what happens. My sin is removed, my sin is forgiven, and His righteousness is imputed or accounted to me. My sin forgiven, I am reborn, and His righteousness is accounted to me. What does it say in the end? 
For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Some versions say become. That's not right. We don't become anything. It's not something that I attain to. No, no, no. God makes us righteous. That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. His righteousness is imputed to me, not my own. And He takes away, He forgives my sin, and He accounts it to me. And because of what was done on the cross, I stand spiritually justified. I stand before God not guilty in Christ. And now, because of what was done on the cross, because I have placed my faith in Him, there is therefore now no condemnation for me. There is no final verdict that waits for me that says, Guilty! Because you are guilty of your sins and off to eternal punishment. No. You know what waits for me? You know what my final verdict will be? Justified by faith in Christ. And praise God, sin cannot touch that. The law cannot condemn me. Because I stand in Christ, I stand in Him forever, eternally saved. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus spiritually. And the Bible is clear that once we are saved, we can't lose that, praise God. We did nothing to earn it. Right? Isn't that what Ephesians 2 says? Not of works, lest any man should boast. In fact, it's His workmanship. We did nothing to earn it, it's God's work, therefore we can do nothing to lose it. Again, praise God for that, because if there was a way to lose it, I'd probably find that way. I'm pretty good at messing up sometimes. And if you know anything about your own sin nature, we're pretty skilled at that, aren't we? We find ways to go around the rules. We find ways to fall. But this is God's work that He has done in me. And once we stand spiritually justified in Christ, that is forever. If you turn back to Romans and look in chapter 4, something we, we looked at oh, several months ago now in Romans chapter 4 and verse 3, it says this, For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. You see that? He believed, and it was imputed to him, accounted to him, for righteousness, the same thing that happens at the cross for you and I today. When we believe in Him, we place our faith in Him, we are born again and we stand before God in a righteous state because of Christ. Verse 4, Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. See, it's not gained by works, it's by grace through faith. Or else we'd have something to boast about. No, it's by grace. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Praise God, it is not by my works. It is by His work, His grace, and His righteousness. So some would raise the question, because if you've been in church any time, any length of time, you've seen people walk away. They've left. How can they do that? Were they not saved? Some people say that, right? How can they do the things that they must not be saved? Listen, there's some people that I'm left shaking my head saying, oh man, how could you do that? What are you thinking? And we might even question maybe, can somebody who's saved really do that? In the end, that's not, that's not our call. But I want you to consider this as well. Do you know that I can go to the court of law tomorrow and I can apply for something called legal emancipation? Anybody ever heard of that? Legal emancipation? Basically what I could say is, my parents are not my parents. 
I can apply and say, Herb and Lisa Miller are not my parents. I'm done with them. I'm going to emancipate myself from them and legally say that they are no longer my father and my mother. And I can make the statement that they are not. They're not my, they're not my parents. I can even have a little bit of piece of paper that says the same. But does that change the fact? It doesn't, does it? That doesn't change the fact. They're my parents. I can say what I want. The court of law can say what they want. It doesn't change the fact. That's my mom. That's my dad. That's where I came from. People can do and say some things that are extreme. But let me just say this. If at some point they have trusted in Christ for salvation, they are saved forever. It does not change the fact that they at one point placed their faith in Him. Nothing undoes that. They might have to answer for some things, which we'll talk about in just a bit. God might say when they get there, what's up? What what were you thinking? But it doesn't change the fact that they will spend an eternity in heaven. Their verdict is still justified spiritually as it is for all who are saved. If you will go back to Romans chapter 8, let's look at that last aspect there. If we are standing in Christ, then there should be some products of that. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. The idea that goes along with this first aspect is that the walking or living after the Spirit should be a product of salvation. You could, say, you could say it this way, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who are living after the Spirit and not after the flesh. Of course, that's what chapter 6 and 7 says, right? Chapter 6 and verse 2 says this, How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? That concept is there. No condemnation, living a new life, praise God for this. No fear of hell, no fear of death, eternally sealed, heaven bound. This brings great peace in my life. To know this fact, I am saved forever because of Him. I pray that you have that peace this morning. Because when all hell breaks loose in this life, I know where my eternity stands. That's the first aspect. I want to consider the second aspect. Okay. First of all, we can consider it being positionally in Christ. The other thing I want you to consider is being practically in Christ. This talks about living the condition of your position. This talks about sanctification. Now, why do I say that? I didn't miss my favorite word. I didn't skip over it. Some of you may have caught that. It's right there in the beginning of the verse. There is what? Therefore. It is the presence of that word which Paul uses for a reason. It is the presence of that word that makes me say what I'm about to say. Therefore means look back. When you see therefore, you figure out what it is therefore. I hope that's ingrained in your minds for the rest of the time you ever read the Bible. It's speaking about something that has come before. Because you're justified by faith, chapter 3 through 5. Because you have yielded to Him by baptism and a new life, chapter 6. Because you're always seeking to follow Him, battling our sin nature, longing for His final deliverance and for His return, chapter 7. Because I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity, to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I serve myself serve the law of God, but with my flesh the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Because of all that, there is a place for this verse. There is a flow in Paul's thinking. 
He's talking to people that are living a certain way. He's talking to people who have yielded themselves to God. And I think that's what in Christ could reference. He's talking to His church. You, saints at Rome, who are living in Christ, who are living after the Spirit and not after the flesh. Hey, you keep at it, you won't face condemnation. There's a problem that has led to much misinterpretation of Scripture. And it is the setting aside of biblical New Testament assumptions. That's a lot of words I know and it's early. How many, here's why so many people get it wrong. They ignore basic Bible commands. If I was to say to you, salvation by grace through faith in Christ is a New Testament biblical assumption, you know what I'm talking about. The Bible says we need to get saved, right? I don't think there's any disagreement about that. If not, well, you probably ought to find some other place to attend because that's what we stand on. What we preach is a gospel because the Bible declares a gospel. Man needs to be saved. That's what the Bible says. You ignore that, you get into trouble. Ye must be born again is a biblical command. It is also the New Testament biblical assumption that we are to be baptized and join His local New Testament church. Repent, be baptized. That's what Peter says at um, Pentecost, doesn't he? And Paul talks and writes people with that assumption that that's just what you do. That's what people did. It has only changed until history as of late. This wasn't the way for hundreds of years it was understood that we are to be baptized and to join His church. The The New Testament is written in letters to churches. You can't ignore that. The church of Rome, the church of Corinth, churches of Galatia, Ephesus, Colossae, on and on and on. It's a biblical New Testament assumption. We have taken it upon ourselves today to erase that. You can't. You cannot. It's all over the New Testament. It's there. It's understood. It's not an option. In fact, part of what it means to be in Christ not only to be spiritually justified, but to have my life in the right place. Listen, you all know people that may be saved and not living right. Would we say that they're totally in Christ? No, we would say they're saved and they need to get some things straight. Part of what the Bible means when it speaks about being in Christ is not just spiritually taken care of, but Living a sanctified life. Sanctified by being set aside, putting that old man off, living a new life. What's that? That's baptism. Sanctified by being part of the body of Christ. Sanctified by living that out. Again, let's turn to Scripture. Colossians 2 and 6 and 7. Listen. As ye have therefore received Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk ye in Him. Hear that? As ye have received Him, Live in Him. Well, how? Rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith. Not established in faith, the faith. Speaking about His body. Established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding therein and being thankful. That sounds like more than salvation. 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 says this, Under the church of God, which is at Corinth, To them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus. There's that phrase again. Called to be saints. 1 Corinthians 3.1 And I, brethren, could not speak to you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. See, there's growth that is expected. And when that growth doesn't happen, there's a problem, isn't there? Two places I want you to turn with me. Galatians chapter 3. If you remember, I just quoted from here, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Okay. I want you to see what the next verse says. Galatians 3 and 26. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 27. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You're all His children by faith. And those of you who are baptized into Him have put Him on. Different subjects there. Salvation, sanctification. 
being spiritually justified, not by any work that I can do, that's Christ's righteousness on the cross applied to me. Now I need to take that truth that is within me, put it on in my life, live it out. To live according to His righteousness. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Look in verse 8. Paul speaking again. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. See his goal? Christ-likeness, right? Nothing else matters. It's all about him. Now listen how he explains it. And I want and be found, what he's saying, I want to be found in him. I want to win Christ, be found in him. That's the same phrase, right? Not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ. The righteousness of God, which is by faith. Again, some of your versions might say, which is that which is through faith in Christ. No, 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 no. It's not what it means. The righteousness by the faithfulness of Christ. He who fulfilled the law, he who led a perfect life, and he who now strengthens me. The righteousness which is of God by faith. Verse 10, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after. See this? That if that I may apprehend that for which I am also apprehended of Jesus Christ. Brethren, I count myself not to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's a lot more than just being saved, isn't it? That's living for Him. That's following after. Imitating Christ. So the question is, do we live for Him? Are we, is my life in Christ? Are we living sanctified? That lines up with what Paul's already been saying in Romans. So what he says in Romans 8 and 1 is, those who are living a sanctified life, those who are living spiritually, having this attitude that Paul does here, I forget everything behind, I press forward, doing the best that I can. Even if it is a battle, right? Because the same Paul that writes this right here, writes Romans 7. Remember we looked at that a couple weeks ago? The things I do that I don't want to do. The things I want to do that I don't. Oh man, what a wretched man that I am sometimes. Paul says that. Even though there's a battle, even sometimes we lose really bad. If we follow Him with all that we are, if we follow Him with everything that we have, with our whole heart, the final verdict on our life will be sanctified, set apart, righteous, and holy. Even though we mess up. Why? Because there's no condemnation to those who are in Him who are living spiritually. That should bring us great hope. Because you know what? Sometimes we go through this life down in ourselves and depressed about heaven and what it's going to be like. I I don't understand it sometimes. I just don't think I can make it. And, uh, you know, I, I just don't know. What are you talking about? It is my Father's good pleasure, little flock, to give you the kingdom. That's what Jesus says. I want to give you everything that you could ever have. All that He asks is we give our heart to Him and follow Him. And if we do, if we walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit, beloved, that's what the Scripture says, we will not face condemnation. Turn to 1 Corinthians 3. We wind down to a close. I want you to see what Paul says here. Perfect illustration. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 10.
Paul writes here, says, According to the grace of God, which is given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He says, I've laid that in your hearts. When we are saved, that foundation is laid. Let every man be careful how he builds on it. Verse 12, Now if any man build upon this foundation gold and silver and precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it. What day? Either the day of your death or the day of his return. That day when we meet him. The day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. The fire of God's judgment. The fire of His glory. In which nothing worldly can stand. All that is false. All that is fleshly will be consumed in the presence of God. And we will be left simply with the spiritual things which we have built. Those gold, silver, and precious stones. It shall be revealed by fire. The fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Verse 14. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. It becomes very important how we live then, right? Are we building scriptural principle things? Are we doing what the Bible says? That is the gold. That is the silver. That is the precious stone. And as we build those into our life, sometimes maybe the walls might not be straight. Sometimes there might be some holes here and there. But if that's what we're building, when that day comes, all of that will stand. If we are building fleshly things, worldly things into our life, the wood, the hay, and the stubble, what does that stuff do in the fire? It burns, right? And when all that's gone... Well, we might suffer some loss. We might look back and say, man, I wish I had been better. Still saved. But facing God for some judgment. Can we face judgment from God and still be saved? Sure. Peter did. Didn't he deny Christ? Once, twice, three times? And cursed at the last time? Didn't Jesus turn to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. That's pretty big. I don't think you throw that around lightly, especially if you're God in the flesh. And Peter was called that while being a founding member of the church. Can we be saved and live fleshly? Sure we can. We know that. We all have experienced it, right? We all know those times in our life when I'm not doing what I should be. It's those times we're no less saved, but we're just under judgment. It's at those times we aren't being spiritual. The promise of chapter 8 and verse 1 is if we are continually living spiritually, doing our best even though we might fall, in the end, we'll be just fine. That should give us just as much hope as the promise of an eternal heaven. I want everything that the Scriptures tell me in Revelation and these promises that Jesus speaks about, I, I want that. How awesome would it be to experience the fullness of the exceeding riches of His grace? Well, that's what Romans 8.1 tells us. If I live spiritually following the Holy Spirit, there's no condemnation. You realize As a child of God and as a servant of God, I do not have to wait for the hammer of God's hand to come down on me. Sometimes it's like that's what we're waiting for, the judgment. Paul says, no, there's no condemnation. You know what that does for me? It gives me some hope and some peace in my heart to know that, man, if I just keep living for Him and doing what's right, it'll work out just fine in the end. Even if I trip, if we trip, get up, ask forgiveness, and keep moving on. There's no condemnation in that. 
If I want you to turn back to Romans as we move to just the last point very quickly. I want you to notice something here, okay? Something that I think is important and I think it means something. Look at Romans 8, 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You see that word spirit, spiritually? Okay. Look at verse 16. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Especially in verse 16. You see, one's capital, one's not. Same word. No denotation in the Greek to say this needs to be capital, this does not need to be. What I believe is Romans 8 is continuing the conversation on the inner battle. Chapter 7 deals with that, right? Chapter 7 deals with my flesh versus my spirit and the two being at odds together. And I believe that carries over into chapter 8. And much of the references to spirit, especially in the beginning of chapter 8, are talking about my spirit. There is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after not just the Holy Spirit, but that spirit within me that is perfect. Doesn't he say that in the end of chapter 7? With the mind I serve myself, the law of God. With the flesh, the law of sin. If I follow my spiritual man, I'll be just fine. In fact, I think that's what he's talking about in much of the first. Food for thought for you. Let me finish with this last point. The perils of being out of Christ. We've looked at what it means to be positionally in Christ, practically in Christ. How about this? The perils of being out of Christ. You've got to know the seriousness of it. This isn't some, something you take and leave. If those in Christ face no condemnation, those outside of Christ will face condemnation. You understand that? If those in Christ do not face condemnation, whether spiritually or when it comes to sanctification, those outside of Christ will face condemnation. If you do not know Him as Savior this morning, you are still in your sin. You are under judgment and you are facing the wrath of God for eternity. Let's say you die in that state. You pass from this life right here and right now without trusting Christ. Your sentence will be condemned. Guilty. And when you stand before Him, there's no works that are going to justify you. There's no money. Nothing can for sin atone. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And if you have not the blood of Jesus applied in your life, the sentence and the final verdict you will hear is damnation in hell forever. And that is exactly why we plead with you to turn to Christ. Didn't Paul say that? Be ye reconciled to God. That's what we cry from the pulpits. That's what we cry in our our personal witnessing. Come to Jesus for salvation. He is your only hope. He took your sin to the cross. He died to save you. I pray that you would place your faith in Him and be forgiven. Be justified from sin. Free from eternal condemnation. And all you have to do is ask in faith. I pray that, it you have, that if you have not, that you would even this morning. Don't leave from this building. Don't go from this place without knowing where your eternity lies. And if you have trusted in Him for, for salvation, if you placed your faith in Him, then praise God for that. Our eternity is in heaven. If you have not done that, well, then you're facing wrath. And don't let today pass without bowing before Him and asking for His salvation. To those of us that do know Him, well, is our life in Him? Is my life where it needs to be? Have you been baptized? Have you joined the church? Maybe you've turned your nose up to that or maybe you've had some bad experiences with that and said, no, thank you. But that's what the Bible says. That is the New Testament assumption. That's what it says that we should do. It's the first step in putting Him on. As you have received Him, so walk ye in Him. That's the first step. Getting our lives in the right place and then living it out. And if you find yourself this morning following the flesh more than the Spirit and maybe not being faithful to Him, well, doesn't the Bible say if we confess our sins, He is faithful to forgive us? Maybe it's time to repent. Get some things back in line. 
who you can ignore it. But you ignore it and you stand before God and answer for it. This is a pretty serious thing. You know what Matthew chapter 7 says, right? Lord, Lord, in your name we have done all these things. We've cast out demons. We've done all this. Let us enter the kingdom. What does Jesus say? On that day I will say to them, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I have no idea who you are. That's pretty heavy, man. It's pretty serious for us to think about when we ignore when the Bible asks us to live a certain way. I know all of us here want to live for Him. We want to do our best. Well, you know what? When we stumble, when we fall, let's get back up. Let's repent. Let's keep walking with Him. Because the call is to live spiritually. It's to live sanctified, to follow Him the best that we can. You do that. That's what the promise of Romans 8, 1 is. You do that, you're going to hear seven words. Seven words that I'm living my whole life for. My whole existence for the rest of my life, praise God, hinges on seven words that I want to hear. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That makes everything else worth it. That is the goal of my life. I don't care about money. I don't care about living places. I don't care about a lot of things. That I care about. Because when I stand before Him and I have built on the foundation of Christ, everything else is going to burn away. But not what is done for Christ. Only one life will soon be passed. And what is done for Christ will last. And on that day, that's what I want to hear. Lord, I don't know if I'm going to speak. I, I don't know. I imagine I might say something like, you know, Lord, I'm sorry. I tried my best. I tried to live after you and do, do everything that I could. You know what Romans 8 tells me? There is therefore now no condemnation. And I'll hear, it's fine. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. If I live for him now. That's what we all want, isn't it? So the question is, are you in Christ today? And if you are not, well then now is the time. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would take these words and these truths that you have given to us in your word, and that you would take it deep into our hearts, Lord, if there's one who does not stand in your Son, in His righteousness that was given at the cross, Lord, I pray that you would draw them, help them to see the peril of their own sin, they might turn to you for eternal salvation before it is eternally too late, Lord. And, and those of us who are doing our best to live in You, to have a life that is sanctified as part of Your body and living it out, Lord, give us the grace and give us the strength and help us to not get off focus. Help us to keep the promise that You say here of no condemnation if we live spiritually free. Help us to keep that close to our hearts, to give us hope, to give us strength when things get hard, when we get down on ourselves, Lord. I pray that You would do the work now in our hearts that only You can do. Bless this message, Lord, and just draw us closer ever to You. I thank You for all that You've done. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.